Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, let's talk about the drive to zero emission energy now. Now, we hear a lot about wind power, solar power. Of course, here in BC, we have lots of hydroelectricity. We need massive amounts of clean power here going forward especially with Canada's targets for greenhouse gas emissions reductions, the transition to electric vehicles. Don't forget that Justin Trudeau has promised to go to 100% electric vehicle sales by the year 2035. 2035 is like 12 years from now. 100% EVs? That's the plan. Where are we going to get all this electricity, and especially this low-emission, zero-emission power? Okay, is it time to seriously think about rapidly expanding nuclear power in Canada? Trudeau was asked about that. I've got Robert Hayes standing by to discuss here. What a great guest we've got here for you. For you. First, have a listen to Trudeau here. Now, Trudeau was, was asked about nuclear power here in, in British Columbia. Have a listen to what he says here. We need to reduce our emissions and we need to reduce our de- uh, dependence on oil and gas. We're going to need more electricity. And I know there are a lot of brilliant uh, uh, innovators here in BC and across the country leaning in on that. We're there to invest in a range of pathways so that we can make sure we're not just protecting the planet, but we're creating a strong and growing economy for years to come. But nuclear is nuclear on the table? Nuclear is on the table, absolutely. N- nuclear is on the table. Absolutely. Lots of talk about small modular nuclear reactors, too. Is that part of the mix here? Okay, let's discuss it now with my guest, Robert Hayes. Robert is Associate Professor of Nuclear Engineering at North Carolina State University. He is very popular on social media. I uh, recommend his TikTok. He's got over a million likes on TikTok. Robert, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Happy to serve. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. So let's let's talk a little nu- nuclear power here. So so first of all, like how how big is nuclear power here right now? Let's talk and say North America or the world, and and how big is it getting? Like how fast is nuclear growing right now? Well, it's not growing anywhere near as fast as it needs to be. Uh, we have about a hundred reactors here in the United States. There's about four hundred worldwide. Uh, if you look at what the International Panel on Climate Change said, we need to at least triple that, if not, uh, if not, if not five times that, in order to get uh, the, their climate goals. Uh, and uh, so it's not climbing anywhere near as it need as fast as it needs to be. We need to substantially uh, increase that if we're to get as much of our electricity with uh, uh, low emission as, as as needed to to make that transition off of fossil fuels. Yeah, and and when you take a look at the urgency around climate change and and the drive to clean power, why do you think that is? Why do you think that that nuclear option is lagging behind? Uh, Well, there's a lot of uh, uh, anti-nuclear narratives that are very popular in society. Uh, Nuclear waste, that term, it's it's basically in our ethnography. It, uh, it, It has weight 
that is almost at a superstitious level. It's considered to be a conclusive statement without understanding the technical basis uh, as though it had infinite risk. Uh, and it's easy to ascribe infinite risk to something as mysterious as nuclear energy. Um, I mean, there are many people that think that uh, a nuclear power plant is like a nuclear bomb and it has the same risk as a nuclear bomb going off. Uh, it, but I mean, if you don't understand it, it, it the, the default for the human as a general rule is to assume something that's unknown is as dangerous as it could possibly be. And if you don't even know how dangerous it could possibly be, then in principle, it could have infinite risk. Okay, well, I, is it kind of understandable, though, that that people are concerned around safety, nuclear waste? I mean, people will remember Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, more recently, the Fukushima plant. I mean, there have been these very high-profile mishaps. Yeah, your, your thoughts, because, I mean, th these things get burned into public consciousness, right? Well, that's kind of my point. That's kind of what I was saying. I mean, if you look at Three Mile Island, it had a, a, a meltdown in the core, and it terrified people. The radioactivity that was released raised the dose to the, the public by about 1% of that of natural background. So radiation is ubiquitous. We get uranium from the Earth. And so we're, we're bathed in radiation, ionizing radiation all day uh, from uranium, thorium, potassium, uh, cosmic radiation, and so forth. And so the average dose that you get per day for a United States citizen, just from natural occurrences, is, is around 320, 310 millirem per year. And so one, about 1% 1 of that, about 1 millirem, is, a, is around what the public got from Three Mile Island. Now, that is about what you get from a dental x-ray. And to say that that terrified people really speaks volumes, that that is what's etched in their minds as to why you shouldn't have nuclear energy. When the worst commercial nuclear accident that we've had in the United States didn't leave a scratch, didn't leave a bruise, mm. didn't leave any measurable medical effects at all. And yet people think that that's a justifiable reason to oppose nuclear. Mm. I mean, when you put it in context, how bad has it ever been for commercial nuclear energy in the United States is Three Mile Island. And that's all that it did. Now Fukushima, that's a that's a very different uh, a def very different uh, ball game there. I mean these reactors they were designed in the 60s, built in the 70s. And Fukushima was one of those. The Japanese that's a Western design. It's not like the Chernobyl where you have uh, a very bad design, very poorly run with no emergency response. Fukushima actually did have emergency response. It was a panic response. People were still terrified from yeah. these uh, anti nuclear narratives that are out there. And so the only people that actually died from Fukushima were from the panicked evacuation. If you look at what the World Health Organization said, the United Nations uh, Scientific Council for the uh, Atomic Effects of Radiation, uh, and even all of the review papers that are out there, the doses from Fukushima to the public were too low to produce any measurable medical effects. They're, they're, the, 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 if there is going to be a radiogenic response, it's too small to see compared to natural variation. The doses were just that small, and yet people risked and lost their lives to avoid those kinds mm. of doses. And that's because of these narratives that you can have an infinite risk for something where you really don't know what it is. If you can't okay. assess it, then you default to, to extreme. Okay. Uh, very interesting thoughts on it. My guest is Robert Hayes. Robert is a nuclear scientist nuclear engineering at North Carolina State University. Okay, Robert, I guess the safety is one issue. The other the other big one I think for a lot of people is the cost. Like it sounds like okay, climate change is this is this the challenge of our lifetimes. We have to go to low emission energy. 
why not nuclear? Like, it's often gone through my mind, why isn't it more urgent? There's a more urgent need to build more nuke capacity. But then you think about the finance or the economics of this or the expense of it. Is nuclear too expensive? Because there's lots of talking here in Canada about small modular reactors. Can we harness the energy of these SMRs to solve our problems? But then there's arguments that it, it's just too expensive. Now, just to illustrate that for you, let me play a clip here for you. This is a University of British Columbia professor, M.V. Ramana, here saying that these small nuclear reactors are too expensive to run. Have a listen, then I'll get your thoughts. Because you are trying to control a very hazardous process, it's necessarily a very expensive process. And the only way the nuclear industry has figured out how to reduce costs is to build big so that you can reduce the per unit costs. And so when you go to smaller reactors, you lose out on those economies of scale. Okay. So he says these smaller reactors, these small modular reactors are too expensive to run. Your thoughts? So my actual expertise is in, I, I teach health physics, radiation, radiation safety, radiological protection. That's my expertise. And that's where generally other experts don't have expertise to describe the actual risks. And that assumption that the risk is infinite does these kinds of things. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say California got sick of automobile accidents. They were just fed up with them and they decided that you cannot sell a car in California unless that car can get into an accident, roll down a cliff, fall into a lake, be submerged for a certain period of time, and then find itself in a fire. And anybody that was in that car needs to get up and walk away without a scratch, without a bruise, without any kind of anything other than just being afraid. That's how safe that car has to be. Because literally, a car is deadly. It is fundamentally deadly. Now, it could be an ugly death. It could be a quick death. We're going to ignore that for the sake of the analogy that that car would be crazy expensive if it had to be yeah. that safe. You could get that it was it, walk away safe, that you could literally walk away safe from it. The only technology where, that gives us that kind of uh, 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 capability in industry right now is nuclear. Walk away safe. Where, like with Three Mile Island, where we decided that's not safe enough, where it had a meltdown and nobody was hurt. Fukushima people got hurt because they were so afraid they had a panicked evacuation, but the containment worked. That's the way they're designed. That's why they're expensive is because we want the risk to be zero. And yeah. if we're going to insist we have a zero risk, then there's a price to pay for that. And so uh, right now, the idea is with the small modular reactors, we maintain that safety envelope, but we do it in a way that's economically friendly. So if you want emission-free safe energy nuclear is the only way to go and if you want it to be as safe as we have walk away safe then you're going to pay for that if you don't if, okay. if you're willing to accept higher risk then then it's going to be cheaper at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. 
Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, we're talking nuclear energy with my guest, Robert Hayes. He is a nuclear scientist. You should check out his videos on TikTok. He's got more than a million uh, likes on there. Let's go to some of your phone calls here. George in Nanaimo. Hi, George. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks Hi. for having this guy on. I agree yeah. 100% with him. Unfortunately, it's never going to happen because the climate coops who are insane with their religion about climate change will never, ever allow this to happen. Well, I mean, it is. Thank you for that. Well, it is interesting to see, like, the in, environmental movement, which which we're, we're so concerned about climate change, Robert, and, you know, there is a lot of environmental opposition to nuclear, nuclear too. What do you think of those sort of, sort of countering positions there? Uh, I have no expertise in climate science, and I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, so I, I, I really can't comment. <laughs> Okay, but there is a lot of, but what would you say generally about the uh, opposition to nuclear on environmental grounds? Oh, it's, uh, it's contradictory. It's absolutely contradictory. Mm. Uh, nuclear energy has the smallest environmental footprint. If you want to have the smallest amount of land use, the smallest amount of mining, the smallest amount of waste, the smallest amount of transportation, the smallest amount of manufacturing, the small, if you want to make all those things smaller... All those things that have an environmental footprint, nuclear is the way to go, flat out. It's better than all of them. Uh, mm. Basically, any of them put together, uh, nuclear is just flat out. It's just such a high energy density that all of those things just become small. It's the only way back, to go. Back to the phone lines, Jeremy in Abbotsford. Hi, Jeremy. Go ahead. Well, anyway, yeah, I would describe myself as probably one of those public people that doesn't know much about it and on the nervous side. And all I remember from Fukushima or whatever is Washington State, south of us, did testing for the uh, cows and the dairy and the milk. And I think it was within a couple of weeks they were picking up radiation in the dairy milk. B.C. wouldn't do the testing. I remember that about our province. And I don't know how he can, if he can comment on that. But it's not safe, I don't think. This is larger risk. We don't know the results. Robert, Robert, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, those really are just uh, feel-good uh, measures to make people feel good. Uh, the amount of radioactivity, anthropogenic activity in the environment is largely due to atmospheric nuclear weapons testing in the past century. Uh, United States contributing to that, but uh, there was a lot of uh, open-air uh, nuclear weapons detonations that took place. And so that's covered the earth. However, uh, that amount of radioactivity, it's, it's less than a tenth of a percent uh, the dose equivalent that you get just from natural radioactivity. Um, potassium is one of the biggest ones because uh, potassium is naturally radioactive and it's essential to life. Um, but the biggest dose mm. that we all get actually comes from radon uh, because we don't walk around in respirators. So the actual radioactivity that came from Fukushima was a small fraction of that which came from uh, atmospheric weapons testing in the past century. And so mm. we do that to make people feel better because they don't know, right? And, and, and one way to say is, it, rather than saying, just trust me, it's all right, we'll go and measure it. Let's go and measure it. And then everybody has a measurement and you can feel better. That's pretty much what that is. is it's it's to, uh, so that the mm. public doesn't fear and panic because when people are fearful, right, cortisol levels rise and all kinds of health problems come if you stop, start to become petrified or terrified of something, of anything. Hey, last question for you. We just got one minute left here. Do you think that the, the economics of this, the, the cost of nuclear energy, what is the, what are the trend lines there? Is the cost coming down? Is it sort of staying kind of stable, going up? What direction is it going in? Uh, I would say that it's, it's more or less stable. 
um, yeah. in the sense that there are cost uh, um, uh, improvement methods by doing uh, small modular reactors. Uh, there are some cost improvements, but because they have a smaller scale, there's a panel, there's a price penalty for that. So you get a little bit of uh, cost effectiveness by modularity, but by small, by making it smaller, that the, you you get a, a slight increase in the cost in the sense that you're you're not doing an econo economy of scale at that point. Um, and so it's somewhere in the range of uh, uh, steady. Robert, we got more calls coming into you here, so we'll just have to have you back. Thank you for coming on today. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.